Hey everybody, you're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. It is awesome to be here this morning. If you're new to Legacy Church, welcome. We're happy you're here. My name is Rachel. My husband, Matt, and I are the pastors here at Legacy Kitchener and in Legacy Hamilton, which is where he is this morning. And uh, I've got my cousin here in the front row with me, Lori. So make sure you say hi to her and meet her. Um, We're in a series called Legacy Faith. And I forgot to let you know, the kids are dismissed for Kids Church. Might not want to forget that. But um, we're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. And I'm pretty excited about this because I have been wanting to preach from an old, this is a selfish preacher moment. I've been wanting to preach from an Old Testament story for a while now. And I've been waiting for the moment. And this is the moment. Anyways, we're going to be looking at the story of King Saul today. My message is on waiting faith, okay? We've talked about legacy faith. We've talked about baby faith. Pastor Matt, last week, what did he talk about here? Maybe faith. Ooh, that was a good one. Today, we're talking about waiting faith. So I want to get into this right away because you got to hear this story And I know that you're going to see yourself in it, because I did, for sure. So back in the day, we're in 1 Samuel 13 today. But before we get into the text, I want to explain that there was a way that God set up things to work back in this day. So the way God had it is he had Samuel, who was the prophet. And Samuel's job was to make the sacrifices, to hear from God. And then Saul, who was the king... His job was supposed to be to follow the instructions of Samuel and lead the nation to do the same thing. Okay, so do we get it? We have a prophet that talks to God, and we have a king who hears from the prophet and then tells the people what to do. This is a very simple system of communication. So you'd think, very simple, okay? What ends up happening in this moment is Saul, who is the king, he's got his army and he's fighting a war against his arch enemies, the Philistines. And what happens is all the walls start closing in on this army and Saul panics. And uh, he gets impatient. And what what's happens is the Philistines come and they call out like 3,000 chariots and they bring they bring their A game to this battle. And Saul, what happens is the Israelite army literally starts running away. So can you imagine you're a leader of an army, you're, you know, on the field, you're ready to go into battle, and all of a sudden, all of your soldiers start deserting you and going and hiding in caves and hiding in, you know, rocks and different places because they're terrified of what's about to come. Now, I can relate to Saul as a pastor. (laughs) 
Because as soon as it looks like something could be happening or some change is a blow and everybody starts running and hiding themselves in rocks and in caves because they're trying to avoid change. They're trying to avoid something that might be different than what they're used to. I have sympathy for Saul. I understand what it feels like when you feel like your team is just running for the hills and you're kind of left standing there like, okay, I guess this is it. <laughs> I guess it's just me or I guess it's just us. And so here's what happens. First Samuel 13, 6, it says, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. And then we jump down to verse 9. And this is Saul's response to what's happening here. Saul says, so remember, let's, sorry, backtrack, backtrack. Remember, Saul is supposed to wait for Samuel. Samuel's the prophet. He talks to God. He tells Saul what to do. Saul does it. This is the system that God's created. So in this moment, Saul is supposed to be waiting for Samuel. Samuel said, wait seven days. I'm going to come, then I'll give you the instructions. So there's this waiting period. And it's in this waiting period that Saul's men literally desert him. And the Philistines are closing in. Samuel's not there yet. And Saul starts panicking. Again, I relate to Saul. Have you ever been in a moment where God said, wait, this is what I'm going to do. And then everything that's happening in your life looks like the opposite of what God said he was going to do. These are these waiting moments, our tight spots, our hard pressed, and this is where we start panicking. So I don't want you to look at Saul in this story and be like, you should have known. There's very clear instructions. You wait for Samuel. Samuel tells you, listen, you wouldn't have waited. I wouldn't have waited. You know, we always downplay Saul. And yes, Saul, he screws it up big time. But like, you and I are Saul most of the time. So Saul panics. And in verse 9, he says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, which is what Samuel was supposed to do. And Saul offers up the burnt offerings. And just as he finished making the offerings, who shows up? Samuel arrives. Oh, you know that's what happens, right? You take it into your own hands and like around the corner was God's promise. But because you rushed it and you took it into your own hands, guess what happens? You miss out. This is good. So Samuel, of course, verse 13, sorry, chapter 13, verse 11 Samuel's like, what have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I want you to highlight this. I felt compelled. 
I went on a little Instagram rant and I kept it in my close friends because I didn't feel like getting yelled at that day. <laughs> and I still got yelled at by a couple of friends. I felt compelled to do the burnt offering. Doesn't that sound like a noble excuse? I felt compelled to do it. My heart told me that I should do it. I want you to just remember that. Well, if you felt compelled, then you had to do it. That's what our world would say. Well, your heart told you, so you better listen. And then we marry three, four, five, six, seven people because our heart tells us to do it. A lot of things you feel compelled to do, you shouldn't do. But it sounds noble. It's like I just felt compelled, like I had to do it. Let me tell you something. Your feelings are about the worst leader of your life possible. The worst leader of your life. They will lead you up and down and all around. The problem is we live in a TikTok world where what you feel is the most important thing on planet Earth. But we know that's not the truth. Otherwise, what we feel would lead to marriages that stay together. What we feel would lead to mental health and clarity. What we feel would lead us to success but feel compelled, follow your heart. Theology leads to serial marriages, serial breakups, serial sexual partners, serial. We just, because we're following our feelings wherever they go. Serial church attendance. I feel like I'm not really getting what I need here. I feel like that pastor's a little bit this. I feel like maybe God just wants me to like test the waters of 800 churches before. I feel, I feel. And you know what? If God speaks to you, listen. But don't let your feelings lead you and say that God was doing it. Because he wasn't. Just say it. I was telling this to Lori on the way. Somebody called me this week. And I was just like, can you just, just say it? Don't give God any credit for that. He doesn't want credit for that. Just say, I don't feel like it. At least be honest about the fact that you're letting your feelings lead you. Okay? Saul's honest here. He goes, I realized that the walls were caving in and I just felt like I needed to do something about it. So Samuel says in verse 13, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And if you had, he says, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of the people because you have not what? You didn't obey. I feel like a broken record these days, and I feel like every message I preach is the same. You got to obey God. That's just the way it works. So here's our problem. Saul felt that the fate of Israel was in his hands. The problem is the fate of Israel was in God's hands. 
Israel was God's people. God promised to defend them. He promised to take care of them. So in Saul's humanity, he's in this tight spot. And the enemy's closing in. And the only option in his mind was, I got to do something to defend Israel. There's nothing about that thought that is inherently bad. He was being a good king. A good king takes care of his people and steps up and does what it takes, except when God has instructed you to do something else. You got to do what God has asked you to do. Now, here's just a bonus. Earlier in 1 Samuel 7, it says that the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Remember, this is Saul's arch enemy. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel's life, not Saul's. So God had made a promise to Samuel that as long as your days are here, that my hand is going to be against this enemy. That's why God required Samuel to be the one to make the call because it was Samuel that God gave the promise to, not Saul. You don't get to mooch off other people's promises. You don't get to mooch off other people's faith. You don't get to attach yourself to the nearest person and go, yeah, whatever they have, I'm having. God wants to individually speak to each one of us and give us instructions for us. Those instructions might differ person to person, right? So God has a way of doing things. And Saul feels this pressure as the nation's leader. He thinks, you know what? The ball drops with me. How noble. How many of us think in our lives that the ball drops with us? If I don't take care of me, nobody's going to. You know, any noble human, that's a, that's a good thing to think. Any noble king would think, yeah, the, the ball drops with me. But the problem is we aren't called to just be any normal king or any normal person. We're a part of God's kingdom, God's way, God's people. And things generally work a little bit differently with him than they do in the world that we're living in. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been in a tight spot? Like your only option was to take matters into your own hands. See, Saul had clear instructions to wait for Samuel, but he looks around and he's absolutely terrified and he sees his army slipping away into the wilderness. And instead of waiting on God, he makes a false start. And there's this gap of time between the promise and the provision, and it takes faith to wait in that time. You know, in sports, I don't know too, too much about sports, but in football in particular, I know, and then I think in like races and running, it's very important, the timing about when the whistle blows and the play starts or the, the buzzer goes off and the racer, the runners take off. Now, you can have all the skill, all the talent, 
all the ability, all the anointing, all the prophetic words your heart could desire. If you move before the whistle blows or before that buzzer goes off, guess what? False start. You're out. In football, you lose a down. In, in running and racing, I think it was Usain Bolt. There's a famous story about he literally had everything he needed to win. And he moved. He flinched before the buzzer went off. He, dis he was disqualified. Because the right thing at the wrong time is wrong. Because God values the timing of things just as much as he values the thing itself. And the truth is, is if you create a false start in that waiting game, it can, it can cost you the game. It can cost you the promise that you're waiting on. He promises you something, and he's going to do it, but false starts in between can cost you what's at the end. So I'm going to tell you a story about my son. Now, a practical way that I've seen this in my everyday household life is... There's this time, it's like a hot zone time. If you're a parent, you'll likely know what I'm talking about. From when they get home from school to dinner time, it's like I starve my children and never feed them and they've never eaten a thing in their life. They are never more hungry than when they get home from school and they're waiting for dinner to be ready. Now in our house, we start making dinner at like four. 4.30. Like dinner's ready by five every day without fail. I'm telling you that hour, they, my kids get home at 3.45. The hour and 15 minutes between 3.45 and five, my God, it is the battle for, and then, so here's what happens. My son starts screaming and crying. He's starving. He's hungry. He's this, he's that. And I've caved many times because I just can't listen to it over and over and over again. I'm like, fine, get a snack. Fine, get a snack. The problem is dinner comes and they sit down at the table and they don't eat because they're not hungry anymore because they just ate snacks for the last hour and 15 minutes. And so they miss out on this beautiful, nutritious, healthy meal because they couldn't wait. And they ate God knows what, fruit snacks, goldfish, good dinner. Like, but this is us. It's like when we know we have to wait for something, the temptation to just do something about it goes through the roof. It's just our human nature. And I want to tell you today, in God's kingdom, don't settle for a snack. If you're single, don't settle for a snack. Trust me. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. You want to wait on God's timing. And now listen, 
I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to judge. We all make mistakes. We all have low moments. We all open the snack cupboard and give in. Okay, we all do it. However, I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. I know you're hungry. Wait. Trust me. Wait. Don't settle for a snack. In every area of our lives, this applies. And, you know, from my personal, from leading a church and my husband and I, like, it's like God speaks to us and we know he's going to do it and he's done it before. I mean, we have four years in a row now where God gives us a word and speaks to us. And then over the course of the year, it happens. So earlier this year, God's given us a word. He's given us clarity. This is what I want to do this year. And then there's a waiting time. And in the waiting time, like I said earlier, sometimes the exact opposite starts happening. Okay, God promises you this is your year. I'm going to bring a spouse into your life. And it seems like you've had more breakups this year than you've had in the last 10 years. So what I'm trying to say is what you need to do while you're waiting on God is wait on God. Now, what I've started doing with my son is I try and distract him during the hour and 15 minutes before dinner. And I give him jobs to do. I start making him busy. So I'll tell him, okay, let's get your homework done now. Okay, you help me unload the dishwasher and we'll reload it. Okay, you know what? Now let's fill up all the glasses with ice for everyone's drinks. Okay, now let's go set the, before you know it, the hour's gone. He hasn't asked for a snack and he sits down and he eats his dinner. Because while we're waiting on God, we need to wait on God. Have you ever been a server? Wait. Wait God's tables. Work, serve, love, give, do something while you're waiting on God. Honestly, it helps the waiting process be a lot easier to manage. We're not below be needing to be distracted and busy. We're not below. It, it's that time where you're just sitting there and you're just waiting. Watch pot doesn't boil. I mean, how many other sayings when you just sit there and it just seems to take forever because you're not busy waiting on God. You're not busy in his house. You're not busy building kingdom. You're not busy doing your father's business. And the cool part is, is while you're waiting, God is making you into who you need to be. He's doing something. He's allowing that gap of time to prepare you for the promise. My daughter is turning nine in June, and it's a few years before she can learn how to drive, okay? Now, as soon as she is of age, I'm going to teach her how to drive, 100%. I don't care. I'll pay for driving school. I'll take her out. I'll do whatever needs to happen for her to drive. And not a day sooner. 
Because if she's not old enough and not ready, she could kill somebody and kill herself. And so I wouldn't dare put her in that position before she's mature enough to handle it, right? God works this way because he's a good parent. He's a good father. He doesn't give you things you're not ready for. He doesn't put you in positions that you're not mature enough to handle. And you know what? Maturity has nothing to do with the color of your hair and the year you were born. I've met, I've had people look at me, 34 years old. God's the one who knows. Why? How? I feel like I've lived 10 lifetimes. My God. But God's the one who determines the point I'm making. He knows what's on the inside. He's the one who determines who's ready. Who's ready. So you don't need to be the judge for anybody else. And anybody else's, are they really ready for that? Are they really mature enough for that? Are they really, you don't need to worry about it. God promotes God prepares, God provides all the P words, God's got it. But the truth is, is in that waiting time, he is making you ready. Picture yourself like a 13-year-old and you're just counting down the days till you're 16. And between 13 and 16, there's a lot of growing up that you do. There's a lot of responsibilities. You'll get your first job. You'll go to start going to high school where you have to like, actually take care of your own things. There's no teacher coming along to wipe your desk. Like, you grow so much. And all the little lessons that you learn in those three years prepare you to a degree for the responsibility of operating a motor vehicle. It makes sense in life, but with God, it's like we don't see things right away and we immediately lose our faith, we give up, we're like, you know what, this isn't, maybe this isn't for me. And we just, we disappear. And it's like in every other area of life, there's generally a preparation process to prepare you for a job, for driving a car, for a position. But for some reason, we think that with God, things just should magically happen. And they don't. He requires us to have waiting faith. We wait for him to move. We wait for his timing. We wait so that we can properly be prepared for whatever he wants to bring into our lives. Now, James 1, 2 through 4 says this. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And we let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It's right there in black and white. We face trials and our faith is tested and we grow perseverance. Why? So that we can become mature and complete. That's God's goal for your life. God's mood board for you is maturity and completeness. And everything along the way is all a means to get you to that place. But 
God tests our patience. He builds our endurance. He trains us to handle what's coming. And we see back here with Saul that one hasty move costs Saul his whole kingdom and his future. Okay? And uh, Saul's literally disqualified from the purpose of God in his life because he made a hasty move. And I don't know that we like to believe in a God that would do that. I think we like the, the God that turns all things around for our good. And then we just wear that thing into the ground until we just live however we want and do whatever we want and think, eh, God will make it turn out. No, that's not what he meant. God turns all things for the good of those who what? Love him. What does the Bible also say about, if you love me, you'll obey me. So yes, you're right. If you're obedient, he will turn all things around for good. If you're not, you live in the consequences of whatever choices you've made. I wrote down two FOMOs, okay? If you're taking notes, this is FOMO. Hasty faith FOMO forgets orders and makes options. Hasty faith FOMO forgets orders and makes options. Waiting faith FOMO follows orders and maintains obedience. Sounds real fun, doesn't it? We want control. We want the details. We want God to move faster, okay? We let fear, pressure, comparison, discontentment, impatience. I figured it was time for me to move on. I figured it was time for me to go find another spouse. I figured, Saul just figures that he'll just figure it out himself. And this is how we live. This is how we make choices and decisions. Because we forget God's orders, and we start making options for ourselves. When what we're called to do is follow God's orders and maintain our obedience and let him do the rest. Galatians 6, 9, we're wrapping up soon, says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if what? We do not Give up. God loves it when you don't quit, when you don't give up. He also knows because it says right here in his word that you're going to get weary. Even in doing good, you can get weary. Even in being obedient to him, you can get weary. Even in doing all the right things, you can get weary. But his word says that in the right season, Remember, the right timing, we're going to reap the harvest and the reward of all of that obedience. What Saul did was he allowed the filter of his feelings to become the focus of his faith. The filter of your feelings cannot become the focus of your faith. Remember in baby faith, Faith starts and ends with him. Has nothing to do with you. Starts and ends with him. My faith is in him. My hope is in him. My trust is in him. It's in his word, not in myself. Okay? So as soon as you allow your feelings 
to start to be the filter that you run God's word through and that you run your decisions through and that you, you've started making feelings like a filter, like a Snapchat filter, like no matter where you are and what picture you're taking, you still have the clown face. Your feelings are like the clown face and you just keep putting the same filter on every single picture. No, no, no. Feelings cannot filter your faith. Faith is the filter that you allow your feelings to follow. Feelings are great followers. They're terrible leaders. Now, I'm not saying feelings aren't God-given and they're not important indicators, but they are never meant to lead you. They're never meant to be the driving force in your life. And so... As we round this out, Saul was anointed by God. You can be anointed by God. You can be called. You can have promises. You can have prophetic words spoken over you. But it has to be followed by faithful obedience. There is no world in which everything God promises you happens outside of your obedience. And if you don't believe me, read your Bible. Abraham what? He was tested with his son. God made a way out. Okay? Abraham's promise was contingent on passing that test. Okay? You are going to receive every single thing that God has for you on the other side of faithful obedience. Now... As we close, I'm going to ask Mike to just come back and play for a minute. I want to read to you what waiting on God looks like in the Bible. I want you to know what God does for those who wait on him. Waiting faith, remember, like I said earlier, is not just sitting there. It's waiting on God. You're actively, actively doing something. You're serving you're seeking, you're moving, you're, you've got momentum. This is what God promises, and I want you guys to close your eyes so that you're focused on what I'm saying. I like to do this and let the Word of God speak. Isaiah 40, 31. That they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Psalm 135-6 says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Psalm 37, 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Isaiah 64, 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear, no eye has seen a God.
God besides you who acts for those who wait on him. Waiting on God matters to him. It's something the Bible says over and over and over again. I could have read 20 more verses. While we wait on God, we grow in our faith. While we wait on God, he fights for us. While we wait on God, we grow strong. We grow mature. We become complete. God takes justice into his hands. God is glorified when we wait on him. False starts. Taking matters into our own hands. Being in a tight spot and moving and reacting based on feelings. Letting our feelings compel us instead of the word of God compel us. This is not the way. God wants us to wait on him. To have waiting faith in between the promise and the provision we wait. God, I pray right now for each and every one of us. The waiting seasons are hard, God, and you know they're hard. And we ask that you would come and by your spirit that you would give us the will to obey you. That you would give us the heart. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within us. As the psalmist wrote, help us to not settle for a snack in any area of our lives, but to wait on you so that we can grow in endurance and maturity and wholeness, God, and that we can see your goodness poured out over our lives, over our futures, over our businesses, over our homes, over our children, God. We want your provision. We want your way, God. So would you help us to see any areas of our lives where we're trying to take matters into our own hands or we're trying to let our feelings or we're looking around and we're seeing the opposite of what you've promised and we're losing hope. God, we surrender all of that to you today. We thank you, God, that you are the God who fulfills your promises. You are the God who makes a way in the desert. You are the God that does the impossible. So we put our hope and our trust and our future in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.